0: If you will, take your Bible and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We are trying to look at this thing of a model church. And tonight, as we continue that series, you see the title on the screen, A Healthy Church. We're going to take four verses of Scripture. We're going to read verses 4 through 8. If you will, stand to honor the reading of God's holy Word. Verse 4. For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Anything. Let's pray together. Father, take this portion of your word and help us to remove from our minds those things which stand in the way of you speaking to us words that we need to hear tonight. More than anything else, we desire to please you. I pray that you will work a work in our hearts and our lives and this church that would do just that. Please, you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Brandon, my bad. Would you back that slide up, please? Just one. There you go. Thank you. This verse is interesting to me. I told you this morning what happened in the leadership team meeting the other night, and I'm going to repeat it just for those who might not have been here and not listening. One of the things that we talked about Is wanting to be a church in this town where when you spoke to someone in this town, they'd know who you were and where you were. Could I get an Amen? Look at this. This was interesting. For not only has the words of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. Watch this, so they know who you are. That's what it says. Your witness has gone, their witness at Thessalonica had gone out everywhere so that we didn't have to explain who you were. We didn't have to tell that you're that brick building or you're that little house. Or the people knew. Boy, that was a message to me. Now, one of the most common, one of the most common uh Comments or questions that I hear is this. How can we make our church grow? Hmm. Now, that that is based on a couple of assumptions. First of all, the, the assumption is that our goal as a church is to be a large church. I mean, in the American culture, things that are good are large. That's what we think. You don't believe it just look around at what's going on i mean you talk about all the chain stores i just read a report that 20 years ago 30 years ago mom and pops were the big thing today everything's franchised and the bigger the better but in thessalonica we look at thessalonica and they did not they were not they did not set as a goal having a large church in fact we don't really know how many got saved but we know that they were doing the right things for people to get saved. You know, they were not expecting to have a large church. If you go back and read Acts 17, what you discover is this church was under persecution. There were mobs. There were people trying to pull them down. And, and even in the midst of that oppression and that challenge, they became known as a model church. Now, how did that happen? Well, maybe we'll get to that in a second. The second thing that I want you to know about that question, how do we... How do we make our church grow? Is the inference that we can actually do something, perform some ministry, add something to our already busy, amen, already busy schedule that would make our church flourish and grow? Again, I think we're coming back to the biblical model. I want to remind you of just a couple things. First of all, you do know that Jesus said, I'll build my church. But equally... Paul said in Ephesians 1 and several other places, he compared the church to a body. You know what? If your body's healthy, it grows. I went last night down to Brent and I saw our granddaughter. Perform in a little theater production. Now, this is the granddaughter. Let me just make you feel old. This is a granddaughter that in 30 days she's going to be nine years old. In fact, John Michael and I were talking about it the other day. He said, How old is Piper now? And I said, Well, how old are you, John Michael? He said, I'm ten. And I said, She'll be nine in 30 days. You know what? We say our grandkids grow up too fast, and certainly it seems that way, but they really don't. In fact, here's what I'll say to you. If our kids weren't growing, I mean, this morning I walked in, and Jace is, um, at the end of the service, Jace walked in, for crying out loud. I mean, Jace and Caden and all these, they are but you know what the truth is? They're really not growing up too fast. They're growing up at the right speed. And I'll tell you something else. If they weren't growing up at the right rate, they'd take them to the doctor to find out what's wrong with them. Because, you see, for a body, you know, I never intended to be 200 pounds, 200 and some pounds. and You don't have to know what the sum is. But I am. When we think about that, that parallel, here's the truth. The real question is not what makes our church grow. The real question is what's stopping our church from. Because I believe a healthy church not only grows, but it wants to grow. It doesn't just grow spiritually, and we all hide behind that. We're growing spiritually. But in a a culture where we have so many lost people around us, I think it's inconsistent with the law, the mandate of Christ, for us to grow spiritually, and we're not growing numerically. Wow. You You see, the truth is, Jesus put us here and gave us a task. And I believe that Jesus told us that when we meet His standard, when we do it His way, then people come to know Him and join us. Now, a healthy church does many things, and I don't want to say that this message is all-encompassing. We're just looking at this church at Thessalonica. They did not have a life of comfort like we had. They had a life of opposition and challenge from the community. And yet, they were healthy enough that they were termed a model church. By the way, the hardest thing in the world is to look healthy if you're not healthy. Hello. I walked in today to Terry Wingo. A lot of things flying around. He's going to have a couple of procedures tomorrow and Tuesday and then see about if he needs surgery. The first thing they said to me when I walked in, they said, He's John Dixon. I didn't need him to tell me that. I'm not a physician, but all it, you have to do is look. I want you to consider three things, and I will not be as long as I was this morning, three things that I lift out of the Scripture that are, are things that we will attribute to the Thessalon- church at Thessalonica as attributes that we need to be. The first thing that I see here is that they embraced the Word. They embraced the Word. Now, we're talking about the Word of God, and if you look from verse 4 to, to verse 8, you see three times in that, te- in, in that passage that that it's talking about the Word, but when you read this and you get the heart from it, you sense that they heard the Word, you sense that they knew the Word, and, and that they were living according to the Word. Please listen. Most people in this room, you have heard enough Word preached that you could live like a Christian for 700 years. It's not what we, it's not just what we hear, it's what we apply. These guys embraced the word, but let's see how they got to that. First of all, they heard the word. They heard the word. Look at here, it says, um, in verse 5, it says, Because the gospel came to you, the gospel came to you not only in word. It says not only in word, but it did come in word. Who gave them the word? Do you remember those parents we talked about this morning, the first three names that lead the way? Paul, Silas, and Timothy? They preached the word. They didn't just preach it one time. They preached it over. And they preached it over again. They preached it over again till it became a part of them. They heard the word. They didn't just hear for facts. They just didn't hear uh, the um, the, um, the surface words. They heard with understanding. They listened They heard the word of God preached. We hear that every day, but many people out there don't. If we're going to become a model church, we hear it. But watch what else happened. Not only did they hear the word, but number two, they were convicted by the word. It says you heard the word. The gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in full conviction. What happened to the Thessalonians? That's what happened to the Thessalonians. How is it that they could, in such an oppressive, in such a martyr almost society, how could they become, how could they become a model church? And here's how: when the word comes to us and it convicts us, here's what happens: it changes us. When it convicts us, it changes us. You hear the word in power. You hear the word empowered by the Holy Spirit. What happens? Conviction follows because we do not have an encounter with Christ that we're not convicted. At Pentecost, when the Spirit fell, they were cut to their hearts, and they were cut deep enough, deep enough that change followed. You see, this is this happens when you get saved. That's what you're talking about, Brother Jerry, that conviction, it comes when somebody doesn't know Christ and and they're convicted of their sin and they surrender their life to Christ and they're saved. Yes, that's one time, but let me tell you something. Conviction comes to the follower of Christ who has gotten off the road, who has made other things his priority, who honestly made something else his God. Every time I get in a group of pastors, we're talking about the lead sin in America today. I always tell them I think it's idolatry. We got other things before. He says, don't have anything before me, but we do. We hear the message. And that convicting power starts on it. And you know what we do a lot of times? I just can't do anything about that. I can't come to this altar because if I kneel at this altar. Oh, Susie back here is going to look at me and go, wonder what he did. Guess what? Wouldn't you rather Susie to say, "Wonder what he did," than God to say, "You're the man"? And you know what happens? Watch this. This is what happens to us, all of us older people. Spirit, we hear a message and it convicts our heart. We know we should. We know we should spend time at the altar with the Lord. Or we need to pray with a pastor. Or We need to get somebody to come pray with us and pray, kind of pray what we used to call praying through. But you know what happens? We go, "I don't think so today. I'll do it tonight." Tonight at 5.45 comes up and you get a headache. That's okay, God. I'll take care of it next Sunday. So next Sunday comes and that message is there pressing you once again. And you go, you know, it was okay. I didn't do it last week, so I'm not going to respond to this. You know, one of the things that's been said about us is we're not really a moving church. And uh, those who've gone to Sherwood, they are a moving church. Those same guys come to the altar every week. You know why? Because they realize that they can't do it without him. Lawrence Phipps told me a story that I think that I think speaks to this point of when God speaks to you, you don't respond. And then what happens the next week? It's kind of like church, going to attend a church. You, it was raining this morning, so you thought, man, this is a great day to sleep in. And it would have been. And it would have been. And I was tempted when I got up at 6 o'clock. Actually, a little before 6, none of your business. But here's what happens. You oh, I'm going to sleep in today. And the next Sunday it comes around, and it may be sunny. but Oh, your head hurts a little bit. You didn't get enough sleep. You didn't get in bed. So you don't come next week. So then the next week you go, you know, I've missed two Sundays, so one more is not going to matter. You get that fourth Sunday, and you don't even wake up. You understand what I'm telling you? And the further you get away... The easier it is. Here's a story Lawrence told me. Some boys were playing chase in the church. And don't be surprised. Boys play chase in the church, okay? They're playing chase in the church. And this one boy was running for his life. And he'd come through a door, and he locked that door. Now they couldn't get in. But you know what they did? He could hear them knocking, but he kept on boogieing. He closed the next door and he locked that next door. He could still hear him knocking. And he went through three or four more doors locking each one behind him. And finally he closed that last door and he locked it and he listened. And he could no longer hear the knocking because he was so far away from his pursuers. That's exactly what happens to us with God. With God when that conviction comes on our heart and we do nothing about it. We soon get so far from God. Sunday school class don't mean anything. Prayer don't mean anything. Worship I can do without it. Serving I can do without it. The conviction passes, but not these folks. Not the model church. They are so sensitive that that when they hear the word, they're convicted. So you know what they do? They receive the word. Says that. They received the Word. That's what they did. If you look here, it goes, you know what kind of men we were among you? Verse 6, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the Word. Now, i tell you what receiving is, but I I can just give you a couple of things. Receiving is not rejecting. Receiving is not replacing. Receiving is not rewriting. Receiving is to take it just as it is. The model church knew, knew what the Bible, knew what the God's Word, they didn't really know the Bible because it hadn't been put together, but they knew what God's Word says. And they decided to live by it. You know, I wonder what's worse. People who say they know the Word and they believe the Word of the people who have decided what they're going to do. In their religion, the Bible's not enough, so they got to have this extra book. Hello? Or the Bible doesn't speak quite like we want it, so we're going to rewrite it and speak. I don't like what it says about gender. I don't like uh, God being a male or the role of woman in church. Or I don't like it, you know, the big deal today. I don't like the blood in the Bible, so we've got to take the blood out of the Bible. So we start rewriting it. We start... Renovating God's word. I'll just tell you, if I could take something out of the Bible, it sure breaks my heart that Jesus had to die on the cross to save my soul. If you rewrite it or reject it or replace it, you don't receive it. When you receive it, you embrace it, and when you embrace it, you live. But he's called us to live. Submit to the Word. Ooh, we don't like that word today. <laughs> we don't like the word submit. Oh, that means uh, I don't have any rights. So guess what, you don't. If you're really going to follow God's Word, if you're really going to be a model believer, if you're really going to, you're really going to be a model church, we know that all we can do to his Word is live it out. We live it out in such a way that this community knows, which brings us to the next thing they did. Not only did they embrace the Word, but the second they did, they exposed the walk. They exposed the walk. Now, how do you do that? I mean, expose put something out there so everybody can see it. So people can clearly see what it looks like. You see, the truth is these guys simply practiced what they knew. It wasn't just the, the Paul and Silas and Timothy gave us a sermon once a day or once a week, and we heard it and put it out to pastor. What got them in trouble was that they actually believed, they actually lived what these guys were telling them. And they probably didn't know what they were getting into when they started. You know, we like that. We're like that. Because the truth is, we have several things, and I won't go into all of them, but we have several things that we don't know what it is to get involved in it. Marriage. <laughs> Marriage. I just want to say something. I know we got people here who've been married as long as I am old, but watch this. You didn't know your spouse when you got married. Oh, you may have loved her or him, but you didn't know your spouse when you got married. You didn't know they hung their dirty socks on the, uh, on the tub. You didn't know they threw their clothes in the floor. You didn't know they snored. You didn't know a lot of things about... (laughs) Quit punching each other. You didn't know things about until you got involved in it. You see, the truth is, until we embrace the Word and we start walking, we don't know what's involved. But the truth is, watch how it unfolds here. Watch how it unfolded for them. Two things quickly. First of all, when when they... when they received the gospel, when they received the word, when their lives were changed, they became imitators. They became imitators. They were mimics. That's what it says here. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. You see, they set their sights on godly people. And folks, I've preached on this. I hope you're discerning about what a godly person looks like. He is not, or she is not, the meekest, passivist most feminine person that you meet. Brother Jerry, that's my concept. Well, really. Well, go back and read the Old Testament and read some of the New Testament. The Old Testament. That passive God drowned Egyptians in the Red Sea. He sent fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. He got mad at the children of Israel and was about to destroy them. And Moses said, destroy me, don't destroy them. He still sent judgments and had thousands killed. I mean, when you see true God, he is standing up for righteous and right in his way. I don't like that, Brother Jerry. Well, I don't care. That's what the Bible says. That's called embracing the word. That's what it says. It is true that God is love. It is true that God wants the best for us. It is true that God gave the best for us. When we're looking at godly people, they need to be acting like God, standing for Him, His truth, His right. And then imitate. That word imitate in the Greek literally means, boy, did I just die, guys? Okay. That word imitate in the the Greek literally means to mimic, that we mimic people. You see, when we come to Christ, what happens is we get on this journey of walking like Christ, and things happen. Now, watch this. I'm about to use, the, about to use this big word that you think is a four-letter word. You change. Hello. I want to say it again just so everybody that's taking their reaching for their nitro, you change. I'm going to read a book right now by Josh Hunt. Josh Hunt is a Sunday school guru. who has been doing nothing but Sunday school for the last 15 or 20 years. You know what his, you know what his uh, book is entitled? Change or die. The foreword was written by somebody else and it says, the life, the Christian life is a life of change. And I'll go further to say this to us. The Christian, the Christian life and the model church is about taking the ever-changing world and tethering them to the never-changing God. That means down here when we're meeting them where they are that there are some things that don't matter in eternity that we need to be free to change. That means that our lives as we walk, as we imitate him, our lives change to become like him. I've mentioned this a couple of times and I don't know why except I've heard it a couple of times more recently than I've ever heard it before. People who claim the name of Christ have said, that's just the person I am, just get used to it. Just get used to it. That's me. That is. That's an attitude of Satan. That's not an attitude of a child of God. You see, the child of God is. I'm not. I'm not supposed to be like me. I'm supposed to be like Him. I'm supposed to imitate Him and what He does. I'm supposed to imitate Him. My life is to change. When I got saved, He didn't just take me like I was and left me like I was. He took me like I was and wants to make me into what he wants me to be so that people can see him working in me, him working through me. And if we're unwilling to change, we'll never become imitators. We'll never be what he wants us to be. The person who doesn't know God lives that natural life. Whatever comes naturally, y'all remember? Y'all remember that? Do what comes naturally. Whatever comes naturally, just do it. Well, that's not what the Christian life is all about. The Christian life is being like Him. But watch this. I, I carried too long. They became imitators, but then they developed into initiators. Now, some of you don't like that. Uh, some of you strong personality, class A types, you don't like that, but watch this. Verse 6 says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example. You became now an initiator. You grew in faith until people start looking you. You initiate now a behavior and a life, lifestyle that people can see Jesus in you. There is nothing to brag about when you come out of a meeting or when you come out of something else and people go, Ooh, "Wonder, you know, I didn't expect to see them at church. They talk like that and act like that. You see, most people in this world look out for number one. Most people in this world care for their own. But what happens to us as a model church if people look at us, if people begin to look at us, And they see us as a church taking care of others. We see us as a church looking out for others, offering service to others. Thursday night leadership team meeting. We talk about how we could get our name out and do something for our community. We need to be doing something for our community. Tammy Pickens was there and she said, let me just tell you one thing that would that would really get us in front. Now, we talk about this. You know, I don't know. People get offended at me, and that's part part of the position that I hold. Number one God in Hueytown, like many other small towns and large towns today, is the ballpark. It's the God. I mean, you don't think it's the God? You let the ballpark and the church go up head-to-head and see who wins. But we're talking about that, about the ballpark being the place where everybody went to, and Tammy said, you know what would be a great service. She said, parents are required to work in the concession stand. I don't remember, once or twice a month. Twice a month. And when they put, when they work in the concession stand, they don't get to see their kid play ball. said, you know, if we could put together a team of people that would, and it would take several shifts, it wouldn't be one shift. If we put in the team of people and in? in and one Sunday, one Saturday a month or two Saturdays, we talked about one or two Saturdays a month, put our, t- put our team from the church in that concession stand. And just simply say to those parents, this is our gift to you. We will earn the money today. You watch your kid play ball. And you go, well, how would that do anything for us? Well, let me just Let me ask, Thought you'd never ask. Let's say we put on a shirt that says, Loving people, loving God, Hueytown Baptist Church. Let's say we put on a church, a church in the heart of the city for the heart of the city. Let's, let's say we put on a church, serving our Savior, loving you. Let's, we put on a shirt that says something who we are. Maybe we put some of those little pamphlets around that Lawrence brought us, and when people came up, we gave them a smile, we treated them right, we told them we loved them, and all of a sudden they began knowing who Huey Town Baptist Church is. And then, wait, like, for crying out loud, one of them actually shows up. And I'm telling you, folks, when people walk into this building, they're made to feel welcomed. And then they decide to come back, and then they get saved. And just because we had the foresight to do something like that, or maybe next Sunday night we're going to have... Uh, Angie here, Angie T from the Grace Place. Maybe that'd be your place of service to serve down there and to share with them. You see, the truth is, when we move from just being imitators to where we become initiators, then all of a sudden we are serving people in our walk and our work and our witnesses out there. And not just because we love you, it's because God loves us and we love you. That's the work of the model church. Boy, I'm going along. They embraced the Word. They heard the Word. they, They lived the Word. They practiced the Word. And when they practiced the Word, they exposed what it was like to walk like Jesus, to serve like Jesus. I'm convinced their service is what kept them all from getting killed in that environment. But the third thing that I see here is what I just referred to, they exclaimed, the witness. The gospel came to them, not only in word, but in power, the Holy Spirit, and in full conviction. I use the word exclaimed because of what it's written right here. For God, verse 8, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. Now, that sounded forth. In the original language, that means to reverberate. That means to resound. That means to echo. In fact, I'll just tell you the word that comes to mind when I see that word. It is the word trumpet. There is nothing in the world any better in an orchestra than a great trumpet. There is nothing any more worse than a bad trumpet. It sounds like a dying dog. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Whether you play it well or whether you play it bad, you play a trumpet, people hear it. People hear it. The model church is a church that sounds forth the witness of the gospel of Christ, because the model church understands that without them knowing the gospel, that they are not going to make heaven. They're going to miss heaven. They're going to make hell. And it's not just for a few minutes. It's not for a few months. It's not for a few years. It's for eternity. And it falls on our shoulders. I want to say just three things about this. Exclaiming the witness, and I'll be brief. Exclaiming this witness, telling the gospel, it first of all became their mandate. It was their mandate. They had heard Paul and Silas and Timothy share the gospel to the point that they knew that now, as recipients of the grace of God, they had to be givers of the grace of God. As recipients of this wonderful gospel story, they had to be tellers of this gospel story. Listen to listen. Not because I'm pastor, when I'm dead and gone. Here's the truth. If this church is not telling the story, we are failures. If we're not giving the gospel, we are failures. If as a church and individually, we're not following the instructions that our Lord Christ gave us, we have missed the boat. This church, the Thessalonican church, they understood the instructions. They understood to the go. They understood the disciple. They understood the baptize. They understood to the teach. They understood that word. You shall be witnesses. They understood the good news was the only thing keeping people in that community out of hell. The good news, that's all we got. Sammy Gilbert tells us that good news is only good if you get it in time. It was their mandate. It's what drove the machine. But it was not just their mandate. It became their mission. Have you ever thought about that you're a missionary in Hueytown? Have you ever thought about, have you ever thought about that you're a missionary in Hueytown. Well, that's no big deal. That's Hueytown. It's a Christian city. Go buy you a scanner. I haven't been to one in quite a while, but go to a city council meeting and hear the chiefs tell how I many calls they make. Drive around on Sunday during Sunday school. Don't miss preaching. No, I'm teasing. Travel around on Sunday when people should be in the Lord's house and see how many people are hitching up their boats or headed to some ballpark to play or going fishing or hunting. Travel around I dare I challenge you on that. Brother Doug told me they made seventy five seventy six hundred phone calls and contacts just before he retired in a program they were doing. And people are confused because something like 50% of them said they were going to church regularly. And I said, Brother Doug, did you define regularly? He said, No. Here's what I'm going to tell you 50% of our population says they go regularly. At least half, if not three quarters, of that 50% define regularly as they're creasters, Christmas and Easter. They go regularly. We have people that, that need the Lord, we're on a mission. You say, Brother Jerry, where do you see there were missionaries? Well, watch this. The word of the Lord, verse 8, has sounded forth from you in your home places of Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith has gone forth everywhere. Now, did you hear that? Because of what they did, because because of how they lived, here's the truth. People heard of the gospel. People heard of them. That's the mission of the model church is to be giving the gospel. Which brings me to the last question. For them, this witness, it became their mark. It became the mark that they left. I remember when I was a kid and we used to brand cows. Have you ever done that? Some of you are saying yes. Some of you are saying no. Some of you are going, what's branding cows? You poor city people. Throw that calf on the ground. You take a hot iron that you've had in the fire, and you put your mark on them. That's one mark. When I was growing up, by one of our doorposts, there were marks of how tall I was. In many places, there are closed church buildings today. Buildings, that you go to, particularly you go to Europe, great cathedrals that now used to be houses of worship that now sit empty. It's a mark. They left their mark. We read it to start with. You do remember that, don't you? Their mark on the community was, they did all this so that Paul said, you did all this and we don't even have to say anything about you. People know you. People know who you are. People know who you stand for or whose you are. They had so fulfilled their mandate and ministry that Paul and Silas and Timothy didn't have to say anything about them. Because you see, the model church, we're done. The model church leaves its mark on a community. In fact, the model church, if the church closes... The community suffers. So I'm just going to end with um, just a couple of questions and a quick story. Thinking of this church, what mark have we made on our city? What is it that they recognize us by? Or do they even know who we are? When people think about the name of this church, what are their comments? I know one said to me one time Isn't that a church for old people? I said, well, We got some of those folks there. I said, But we also have one of the strongest uh, children's programs on Wednesday nights. Oh, really? Last question What are you willing to do personally? What are you willing to change in your life and do personally? That we be known as a model church. That we become the church that people want to be like. That other churches look at and go, yeah. In the Holy Land, I know some of you have been. But in the Holy Land, there's a couple of bodies of water. I used to tell this as the Red Sea and the Dead Sea, but what I really want to say to you, you have the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. In the Red in the um, Sea of Galilee, you have fish. Beautiful, you, it's, uh, Boy, it's, such, it's just a wonderful place. The Dead Sea, that's where everything's dead. And I could give you all the things that I've read about it, some of the, you know about it, but you don't catch fish there. What's the difference? Sea of Galilee, the model church, the Dead Sea, the Dead Church. What's, what's, what's the difference? Well, in the Sea of both both bodies of water are fed by head streams. Water flows in, and it's good. In the Sea of Galilee, the tributaries run out on the Lorien and it keeps the water fresh, keeps life going in that Sea of Galilee. In the Dead Sea, everything flows in and nothing flows out. And it stagnates. What a metaphor for the average church. It's about us about who we are. It's about what we want, what we like. It's about getting the right cushions on our pews for our seats in our class. It's about having our Sunday school class classroom. It's about having our parking. It's about having everything. i mean my mind. And nothing ever flows out. The call, the mandate, the mission is for us to give away, to serve, that we can leave the mark. Oh, Miss Community, let's pray together.